0: 13 days of x-men monkey off my backlog's second annual holiday limited series i'm your host tessa and with me is the ice man to my rogue sam
1: chill out
0: last year because movie marathons are a holiday tradition for us we watched nine fast and furious movies and released nine podcast episodes over nine days This time, we're raising the stakes by watching the 13 movies in the Fox X-Men series. This is Episode 2, 2003's X2. Joining us today is our very first guest of the series, our friend Megan. Yay, first guest!
2: Yay! (laughs) Honored.
0: (laughs) What are you looking forward to the most this holiday season, Megan?
2: You know what? It's been a long year, and I'm looking forward to not working. So whenever vacation comes, that's what I'm most excited about because I've really not had like a week off all year.
0: (laughs) It's been a very intense year for a lot of people in terms of work. I mean, among other things, obviously. (laughs) Are you looking forward to any specific pop culture during your time off?
2: I am. I mean, I'm feeling like we're just now getting into Oscar season, which is my most exciting time to shine. So, I am my I was organizing my watch list today. You know, I'm I'm in Durham and there's a film festival here next week that I'm volunteering and watching movies at. And I mean, it's not it's not a Christmas show, but Succession starts on Sunday just to give everyone a little uh <laughs> <laughs> Sam, you can put your head in your hands all you want. It's just how I feel. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs>
1: Enjoy your store brand, Darcy, and your fuller from Home Alone.
2: I'm fine, with, I'm fine with it. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, come on, it's no Pride and Prejudice, obviously. <laughs> but it's hardly a comparable character. <laughs> well, I mean, we're here to talk about a Brian Cox movie, not to jump the gun, but... <laughs>
0: It's true. It's true. I think I asked this last year too. Are you looking forward to any specific holiday, new holiday movies or rewatching any classics?
2: I'm trying to think of like new holiday movies. I might not even be aware of them. I'm sure there's, I'm sure Netflix has already said what their slate is going to be in. I don't even.
0: There's one that's coming out that I'm really excited about from Netflix. It's like, I don't even remember the name of it. It's like something castle. I don't know. But it's like about, doesn't matter. Does not matter what this movie is called.
2: Something castle. It's consider Brooke me sold. Shields
0: <laughs> is a writer who is going to buy a castle in Scotland and meets like the grumpy castle owner.
2: Oh my gosh! Just say less.
0: <laughs> Carrie, use like I'm. I'm in. Like
2: okay, yeah. I, I'll I found watch out about that. this like Come yesterday, <laughs> so
0: I'm like already in.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have not been aware of that. No, I mean I think we talked about it last year. I have I have old staples. I I'm I'm basic. I like my it's a wonderful life. You know, it's nothing exciting going on over here.
0: I mean, sometimes you just have to go back to the classics. That is definitely true.
2: I'm sure there'll be something that I don't expect that I see and enjoy, but until then, we're just we're just going day by day.
1: I don't know. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk about this during Oscar season. But I am starting to get really, really psyched. Licorice Pizza.
2: I mean, I am too. I, uh, I of course I want to talk about this. I knew this was coming.
1: <laughs> I'm hoping he'll come back. I hope this is a return to form. I pray that it is.
2: I'm, not, I'm worried in the way that I'm always nervous and, and the way that I feel like I can't trust anyone until I see the movie and enjoy it, but I mean, I feel like I knew this was in the works and... I just wasn't hearing anything about it. And then like that trailer dropped and I was like, oh, okay. Um, now I'm nervous. What if it's, what if I don't like it? What if I do like it? What does it mean?
1: <laughs> and I'm, I'm also so glad that baby Heim is the, years ago, I love saying this, at a, at a show, I made meaningful eye contact with her. It was, it was great. <laughs> it was great.
2: Light I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm
1: so happy they're doing this. <laughs>
0: So, Megan, before we get into our discussion of X2, could you really briefly tell us about what is your experience with the X-Men films, the franchise, comic books, anything X-Men related?
2: Okay, yes. And I don't it's not going to be that exciting. This is definitely not my forte. X-Men is nowhere near my Fast and Furious uh, interest or obsession. (laughs) So, (laughs) right, what is? But I mean, I'm talking like if Fast and Furious is like a 10, X-Men, X2 is like a 2 in general interest. So I saw them all in the 2000s when they came out. They did not leave a particular impact with me. I liked the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, but until like, not to be the most generic teen ever, but until like the Nolan Batman movies came out, I was like, not really in with a lot of comic book movies. And, you know, obviously I've, I've come back to change my mind about that and, you know, now respect Batman Returns as a masterpiece. But, I definitely watched these, but when I saw the list of- It is a
0: Christmas movie. It, yeah, it is a Christmas, right
2: Christmas movie, <laughs> true. Yeah, that's probably my favorite Christmas movie then. <laughs> or Hustlers, if we count Hustlers. Uh, that's- a, That's Ew. Okay, then that's an amazing- movie. definitely Christmas a Christmas movie. movie. Okay, perfect. But no, I saw that, you know, this was on one of the options. And the first thing that came to mind was when I went to college- One of the things that I had of my high school boyfriends, and, like, the only thing I had was a three-disc X-Men DVD series. And it was, like, very, like, I want my X-Men DVDs back. And I'm like, I'm not going to, like, make a trip over your X-Men DVDs. So they probably ended up in a landfill somewhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is some spite, and I'm here for what, it.
2: What's I am that, like here $10 worth of X-Men DVDs? It was like, 2012.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, I guess the real question today is, some of these movies might deserve to be in a landfill, but does this one?
2: Mm. That And that's our thesis.
0: <laughs> and that is our thesis. Does this movie, you know what?
1: I We have to get Ryan Reynolds for Origins. Yeah. <laughs> And then ask him that question. Oh, I gosh.
0: Will... Ryan Reynolds, if somehow you are hearing this, please call us.
2: I, I don't think, uh, you know, if, if we're using me as a get for Ryan Reynolds, I don't think I have that connection.
1: <laughs> I told the folks in the channel, I said, you know, I honestly think if we made a concerted effort via social media, there is like a 20% chance. We could actually get. I think him. that
2: is so charitable. I think that is. I think that is an impossible dream. I think we are dreaming an impossible dream. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I am,
2: but he is
1: at heart a comedian, and what better joke? I
2: understand.
1: Like this is like a new and inventive way of punking Hugh Jackman. <laughs> like I'm just saying. <laughs>
2: The bromance continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, you know, it's Hugh Jackman's birthday today. Oh, and it Ryan is? Reynolds posted a video of him wearing Hugh Jackman's socks. So I did my preparation.
0: <laughs> very briefly, this film, X2, was very loosely inspired by the graphic novel God Loves, Man Kills by Chris Claremont and the beginning of Dark Phoenix Saga. Basically, the film begins with a mind controlled nightcrawler played by. None other than Alan Cumming, which I forgot when I watched before I watched this film. Like, I don't think I knew who Alan Cumming was when this film came out. And as I've said to many people in the past, this Monkey Off My Backlog is quickly becoming an Alan Cumming appreciation podcast. As it
2: should. As it should.
0: Anyway, it begins with a mind-controlled nightcrawler attacking the President of the United States, prompting him to sign off on military scientist Colonel William Stryker's plan to investigate Xavier's mansion and school by detaining the students and faculty. He secretly uses this permission to kidnap Professor X and Cerebro in order to use him to kill all the mutants. Wolverine finds out that Stryker may have something to do with his amnesia and his adamantium bones. Iceman comes out as a mutant to his parents, Magneto escapes and teams up with the X-Men to take down Stryker, and Jean Grey discovers she might be more powerful than she thought. Obviously, as we said at the beginning of this series, we are going to talk about spoilers in this podcast, so if somehow you haven't seen X2 yet, I'm sorry. (laughs) Go see the movie before you listen to this.
2: It's on Disney+. Plus.
0: (laughs) But let's, let's just do first impressions of this film. So, Megan... You had seen this film before, right? This I was had. not your first time seeing it. What was your first impression of this film watching it now as opposed to in its original context?
2: Right. So I guess probably second first impression. I, the one thing, the reason I chose this one is, and it's, it's shallow, I think teleportation is the coolest superpower. And so this is like the one with uh, <laughs> Nightcrawler. So I was like, this is the coolest superpower. This is, I'll, I'll talk about this one. Even though I was sitting here going, X2, what ha- what is X2? What happens? Like, just trying desperately to wrap my mind around what the plot to this movie was. And then I watched it, and my sister was like, oh, which one is that? And I'm like, they're trying to steal Cerebro. And she's like, yeah, but what happens? And I'm like, it's just like, that's kind of the whole thing. <laughs> so I think there are some, like, moments in it that I find, uh, you know, valuable, but overall... To be honest, this movie did not leave a massive impact the second time around.
0: <laughs> Except for Alan Cummings' Nightcrawler, apparently. Because you remembered him.
2: I th- I remember him because I remember, you know, being 13 and being like, that would be the best one.
0: <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people who get into X-Men like that. Like, they're just like, oh, that is so cool. Like, or that is so, like, strange. Or... That's, that's a weird superpower to have because they're always so like inventive with their powers. Right. I feel like there's a lot of people who get into X-Men that way. Sam, what were your first impressions in seeing this film, what, like years and years later?
1: I watched these first three movies again uh, like eight years ago. So this is my third time. I never remember them. They don't make an impression. But this is clearly the best one out of the first three. This is, I mean, there's a lot going on. It's much longer than the first X-Men and The Last Stand. And I mean, as a whole, it's, it's fine. But, you know, the thing about Bobby coming out to his parents, if Origins didn't exist, this would have been the origin story for Wolverine of Record. And that's, that's cool. I told you that, that I thought the climactic scene at the dam actually happened in The Last Stand because it involved Phoenix, which I was kind of right about. But, so it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's the best one of the first three.
2: I have to take your word for it. I didn't rewatch one and three. I, was, I wanted to, but then I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think I'm okay. <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs>
0: And that's fair. One of the biggest things that I noticed, and Sam will get into the actual stats later, but the budget for this movie is like by far larger than the one for the first movie, by far. And it had to do with the popularity of the first movie and the success of it. But as soon as you get into even just like the first shots of this film, you're like, oh, they are playing with a different level of money in this film. I mean, for 2003, a lot of these effects are really cutting edge. And I know that especially Brian Singer, for better or for worse, he was constantly struggling with technology in the early 2000s to try to bring these characters to life the way that he thought that they should be brought to life. And I think that this movie finally starts to kind of get his, at least his image of what things should look like on the screen. But yeah, let's talk about some of the stuff that happens in this film. In the first film, last episode, we talked a little bit about Wolverine's amnesia, because he doesn't remember who he is. He does not remember anything beyond 10 years ago, and he doesn't know why he has claws, why his bones are adamantium. He just has these dog tags with the name Logan on them. What did we think about this version of the origin story, where he actually volunteered to undergo a procedure that gave him his adamantium bones and claws?
2: I think Wolverine is is one of the better X-Men characters in, like, the story that he gets. I, I mean, this is not new news. <laughs> He's probably the most popular X-Men. But, I mean, I... When I think about, like, combining this with the other Wolverine stories, like Logan, et cetera, et cetera, I do like that he volunteered and then, you know, ended up being the monkey paw, of course, because how could it not? But, I, I mean, it's just there's... I found there's so much going on and it is a long movie so every character does kind of get you know their their due but it's hard when you have something I mean cuz this is basically he's going through his whole born identity or supremacy whatever whichever one of those is when Bourne's doing this whole thing and but there's also so much other stuff going on that kind of distracts from it and I think might undercut some of the emotional beats or upstage them
0: I remember really loving the line the first time I saw it, and I loved it, again, the second time where Stryker, because I think that Stryker, who's played, like you said, by Brian Cox, he is a really interesting character in this, and we can talk about him a little bit more. But I love the line where he tells, he, because he's trying to convince Wolverine that he's, like, the super soldier, like, Weapon X, like, type person that they wanted him to be when they gave him, like, the adamantium but like Wolverine is obviously like struggling with that revelation but he knows that he like belongs with the X-Men and I love the line where Stryker says you always were an animal I just gave you claws because I think that that is a really good way of both describing that character but also the conflict that that character has
2: And and he hates that about himself. Logan does.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, because he's always trying to struggle between, like, the more righteous, like, side of what the X-Men do and that survival instinct.
2: And I mean, just Wolverine-wise, it's just good when he's a grumpy man with a bunch of teens. Like, that's just good dynamics. Funny. Classic.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I also love, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. But these movies have leaned all the way into that comic book look with the swoops of hair. Like, that first shot of him from behind when he's at the lake.
2: Oh, yeah. That would never fly in 2021. <laughs> like, <laughs> someone, someone at Marvel shows up like that, they'd be like, get out.
0: <laughs> and the, the white wife beater with the tags.
2: Right. It's, I mean, it's specific. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is a very specific look. Unlike the first movie, he actually does call characters Bub in this. So that was great, finally getting him to say the the Wolverine catchphrase, you know, Bub. (laughs) You came to the wrong house, Bub. It's always good. Always good for a laugh. Well, let's talk about Brian Cox then, since you guys are also in arms about Succession. What did we think about- Why
1: are you doing this to me?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What do we think about William Stryker as a villain- his whole plan, his motivations for the plan. What do we think?
2: Sam, opinions.
1: <laughs> A couple of months ago, wink, we watched The Ring for one of our, uh, wait, wait, I'm sorry, Tessa, what were these episodes called?
2: <laughs> Spooktober. Bride of Spooktober.
1: And the whole time I was just like, oh, it's the guy from Succession.
2: You, you can hate it all you <sighs> want. It's not going to change how I feel.
1: And I mean, you know, to be fair, he's really doing his best work in that show. So yeah, he's okay in this role.
2: Yeah. I think Stryker is like kind of like the most generic type of villain in a way, like just like an, an old capitalistic white man type thing. But but I mean, I'm not mad at it. You know, it, it's, it, we're, it's all a means to an end. <laughs> you just have to have someone stirring the pot. <laughs>
0: Comparing him with Magneto, who obviously is in the comic book sort of like the perennial villain who like comes up every once in a while, and he was obviously the villain of the first film, like what do we think about the comparison between the two? Because Magneto obviously represents like, well, they're going to do eugenics, so we might as well do it first. Whereas Stryker kind of confirms that, like he, he is trying to do eugenics, but he's human. So it, he sort of represents like the opposite end of the Magneto spectrum.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to... And by the way, what is what is Brian Cox's character name in Succession? Logan Roy.
2: Logan.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all connected. It is all connected. <laughs> Sorry. I just remembered that. <laughs> anyway, it, it is interesting because the Magneto Spectrum is villain to anti-hero, right? And in the first movie, he is using the senator. The senator is not the big bad. He is the pawn. Magneto is the big bad of the first film. Magneto is not the big bad of this film. Stryker is, which gives Magneto the opportunity to go anti-hero because that's the whole dynamic with him and Professor X, right? They're buds deep down, despite their ideological differences. This is the ultimate republican married to a democrat situation
2: well that's i was (laughs) i was about to say something that makes me sound like the worst type of person talking about politics but it's like well they both force each other's hands so it's like if Stryker like takes things a step too far then magneto's gonna match it in the opposite you know equal and opposite reaction type thing so I mean, you know, it's it's a good dynamic. It's dramatic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that the first film set up that we get to see, like, play out a little bit more here. We should probably also talk about how this film really doubles down on the metaphor that starts in the first film of X-Men mutants being a stand-in for LGBTQ
2: did you pick that up when the mom says, "Bobby, did you have you ever tried not being a mutant?" <laughs> was the very subtle line reading there?
0: <laughs> yeah, it was very, very subtle. But also the idea, like the relationship between William Stryker and his son Jason, that we get, where he sends Jason to the school to be fixed, and you know it, he wants he wants the ex mansion and school to be like a conversion therapy camp, whereas. Professor X is like, no, that's not, that's not how mutation works. So there's also sort of that reading as well.
1: And of course, there's the irony of the fact that, that years after this movie, Bobby comes out the other way as, as gay. So that's like a whole storyline in the comics. And it's, it's really, but Tessa, weren't the X-Men originally an allegory for, for race or am I making that up?
0: I mean, X-Men, I think I've mentioned this before, but and I will probably mention it again because the X-Men as an allegory is not particularly a subtle one, but really they've been a metaphor for all sorts of different issues regarding otherness, regarding difference in the US and beyond. I mean, it's even connected to race a little bit in these movies because- Magneto obviously connects everything that happens to his experience as a survivor of the Holocaust. They have sort of been a stand-in for civil rights issues. It's been a stand-in for LGBTQ plus issues. It's been a stand-in for even like religious issues as well. So this is definitely a very flexible metaphor in some ways. The other thing that William Stryker gives us is that because of his plan, because of the cerebro kidnapping, killing all the mutants situation. He forces the X-Men to team up with the Brotherhood. One of my favorite scenes is actually that scene where he breaks out of prison.
2: There's something about like, oh, there's too much iron in your blood where you're like, ah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of good.
1: Like... <laughs> enough to make that little disc he can stand on.
0: I think that no matter how ridiculous Magneto is in these movies, Ian McAllen's performance just as like this elderly gay guy who's just having way too much fun with the theatricality of it is just it sells it like i don't even care about the whole iron in the blood thing
2: that's and i watched and like truly i watch these movies and i'm like right magneto is like arguably the villain but when him and patrick stewart are like interacting i'm like they're best buds man Like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) i really just want to like cut this in after you said the thing about him acting just say And this has been an episode of Tessa's takes on the Lord of the Rings trilogy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The other thing too is, we didn't mention this when we talked about the coming out scene with Bobby and his family, but actually Ian McKellen consulted with the screenwriters on that scene to make it more authentic as like a coming out sequence. Like it is very much supposed to read like, you know, somebody coming out to their family. And Ian McKellen was initially attracted to this entire franchise because of those themes and elements in it. And so, it is really cool to just see him like let loose and have a lot of fun in this role, I think. We talked about this before, I think on the Romance Genre podcast, but going back to his relationship with Professor X, there's that scene where <laughs> where Professor X visits him in prison and he's just been like beat up by one of the guards and he like turns around to look at him and he's got this huge bruise on his face. And the look on Patrick Stewart's face is so like who hurt you? I'll yeah. kill them.
2: Like <laughs> I know, I was watching this and I've never looked up X-Men. It's just not my fandom, you know. I've never checked out the fanfic, but I'm like, "Oh my gosh, the Professor X Magneto slash pairing has got to be insane these days." <laughs> Especially like I wasn't even thinking about it. then like they and then later on they're like, "Oh, and then it's James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. No one's interested in these two hotties. I'm like, okay, we're screwed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what did we think about the team up? So Mystique and Magneto team up with the X-Men, cause a lot of chaos. What did we think about the chaos causing duo?
2: I like when anyone teams up, you know, reluctant allies. It's a classic trope. You know, it's not going to go well. And there's going to be some point in the, you know, break in or heist where someone, turns on the other and uses the situation to their advantage. But while you're doing it, you're having fun.
1: Yeah, if if only there weren't a character specifically written to do that at every single instance, Mystique. Like, that's her whole thing.
2: I know, it's very much can't trust anyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's really interesting. It's a trope of like the heist or the spy genre that double-cross. And then it's like, Oh, I hope nobody does that. Oh wait, the character who always literally does this.
2: Yeah, it's like someone turns around and there's a there's a gun to their head and then she starts turning into the blue and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a real <laughs> cursor
1: sudden but inevitable betrayal moment. Right, right. <laughs>
0: Although I do again because I'm here for all the vibes, I do love her and Magneto like cuddling in the corner of the jet while they're like making fun of everybody. Like, yeah,
2: they're the mean kids.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, they're totally the mean kids, and of course they like also bring in Pyro. It they bring Pyro in on their mean kid act, right, right? When,
2: when they at the end when they're like, "Where's Pyro?" and they're like, "He went with Magneto." And I'm sitting here like, obviously. <laughs> like...
0: <laughs> so some of the other threads in this that I want to talk about before we talk about specific characters. I guess this is a good time to talk about these two characters. One of the other large threads in this is Bobby and Rogue's relationship. I've talked a lot in the last episode about how much I dislike this particular version of Rogue, mainly because I feel like Anna Paquin could have actually played a very good version of Rogue. But what do you think about this relationship, Megan?
2: I think Rogue's character is kind of like nothing in this to be honest I mean like she's there for sure but it's almost like they were sitting down to write the script and they're like okay so we have all these dramatic beats for you know Jean Grey and then we got to give Rebecca Romijn some stuff to do Halle Berry Oscar winner and Anna Paquin so she'll have a gray streak i think is yeah that's a good plan <laughs> that
0: seems right she'll wear some like 80s looking clothing with some gloves
2: and it'll end there that sounds like a character to me
0: <laughs> i really became very frustrated i was frustrated before i even started this movie knowing what her character was like but i became especially frustrated in that scene where she like she tries to fly the jet over and she's like visibly upset about having flown the jet over and i'm just like okay calm down lady like Like, she exists in this film to be rescued by people. And I don't like it when they do that to female characters, but I especially don't like it when they do it to a character who that's just completely not who she is in the comics at all. And so it just seems like, yeah, she's kind of a wet blanket.
2: If you weren't really paying attention, I don't even think you'd pick up that she, like, has powers. Like, she's, like, just, like, vaguely difficult to be around. (laughs) Just poor Sookie. <laughs> Suki. <laughs>
1: Which, I, I, this is, this joke's going to keep going as long as Anna Paquin's in the movie. I just remember reading the book and being like, it's the character's name is Suki, like, like, Suki, Suki, right? And then, and then Vampire Bill, oh, Suki. It's like,
2: well, you know, it's okay. that a Louisiana accent.
1: <laughs> yeah. And all of that is more interesting than Rogue's
2: character. Right. I mean, just kind of a whole non entity. <laughs> The whole Bobby
0: Logan tension in this movie is so weird, and I don't think I realized it when I was a teenager when I first watched it, because when I was a teenager, I don't think I had, like a young teenager, like I was 13, Mm -hmm. I don't think I had any conception of how old any of these characters were. Correct. And now, like watching it, I'm like, she's a teenager, like, but there's somehow like Sort of implying that there's like sexual tension between the two of them and Bobby's kind of jealous of it. But then like Mystique turns into her at one point when she's like trying to sex up Logan. Like it's like.
2: That's not okay. That's not okay. It was
0: strange. (laughs) I found that to be very strange.
1: It's weird because he is involved in another love triangle that is far more central to the plot that matters far more and and trolling scott is just like one of the best things of this movie oh my god like i don't even care about the romance part it's just trolling cyclops because he's a jerk
2: i will say i mean like i am someone who loves james marsden and for him to watch this movie and for him to just be like just it's so embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) like i'm like Oh my gosh! I have to. Oh God! I have to ride or die for you. You're making this really difficult right now, James. You're being so lame. I
0: feel like <laughs> they gave him like very little screen, like direction as just performance. He's like, but like, who is Scott Summers? He's just a nice guy. What does that mean? He's just a nice guy. Like, what? What else do you need?
2: And what does it say about me that I'm like? And I don't trust that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I totally get it. and plus he's the one who like I I laughed so hard when I realized this. He's the one who causes the entire dam to explode. Like
2: he's such a baxter in this <laughs> movie. It's inseparable.
0: But yeah, that leads me to a really good thing. So we also get the beginning of like the the Dark Phoenix storyline, which of course will continue for better or for worse in The Last Stand. For worse. For, it is for worse.
2: I think we can say for, for worse and then continues again for worse.
0: <laughs> yeah, for worse and for worse, which is so like disappointing because Dark Phoenix is obviously like a really iconic X-Men storyline. And Jean Grey is one of my favorite, personal favorite characters. I think she's great. We talked in the last episode about how she didn't seem to have very much power in the first movie. Well, that's obviously a little different in this one. She starts to realize that she may have way more power than she thought she did plus she has a flippy new haircut
2: oh love that hair flip (laughs) this is this is where i have almost all of my issues (laughs) because they do the classic thing where they like basically give every woman in this movie not a ton to do and then they're like but it's feminist because jean gray is the strongest of them all see we killed her and i'm like oh my god okay I know she goes back, but it's the principle of the matter. Drives me insane. And then for her to be in this love triangle where you're just like, oh, my God. I mean, like, this guy sucks. And then, like, Hugh Jackman's going through his own stuff. Like, this, we should not be in this mess at all. And it's just... just, I just have a lot of feelings about that.
1: (laughs) Thinking about the character of Jean Grey and the Phoenix saga, we've seen throughout Hollywood history that at times... People will want to take another crack at a story because they think they can do it better. And they can put a spin on it. But I think Dark Phoenix might be the first movie that exists to retroactively make a previous plotline in a movie better, right? Because, you know, you take that, that movie and then you say, well, this is the better version of that. So, good job, I
2: guess but i also I also another annoyance of mine is that I don't think we've had an uh dark Phoenix attempt that has been written or even had a woman involved in any meaningful way, which you know kind of seems like a guinea uh, <laughs> but you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was so easy and and again, we'll have two months of space here, so it'll be okay i, I this doesn't feel like the good Hollywood trend, right? Like Rise of Skywalker retroactively made the prequels better. No Time to Die made literally almost every other James Bond movie better. Like this is not a trend we want to keep doing.
0: The Jean Grey, Cyclops, Wolverine, Love Triangle is obviously like a huge thing in the comics, but I'm just not convinced by this portrayal of it, mainly because we don't see enough of her with Scott. To... It makes no
2: sense as to why they're together
0: find them a believable couple like i think absolutely part the, not <laughs> part of the tension in the comics is the idea that she like basically grew up with scott and are so they, she has like, are they married yeah they become married later in they're the comics married, yeah right?
1: no, no no in this movie
0: no they're like engaged okay yeah they're she's like his fiance. All right, whatever. uh whatever they like whatever anyway do
1: mutants believe in marriage do mutants
0: believe in marriage <laughs>
2: Yeah, the whole movie, it just seems like she she's like, no, I can't get with you, Wolverine. I haven't had time to dump Scott, essentially. That's like very much the energy we're getting. And I'm like, so do you like him? Like, what's I I don't understand?
0: <laughs> yeah, like there's this like scene where like he he kisses her. But like right beforehand, she's like, I can't like you don't you flirt with the bad guy. But you you go home to the good guy. And it's like, what
2: is he is is? Is he the good guy? I don't know anything about this man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, I don't, I don't understand why they're together. I don't understand, like, what the attraction is. I do understand the attraction to Wolverine. Like, they have more chemistry in this movie than...
2: Even with the hair. (laughs) Even with the hair. If you're working through the hair, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot of chemistry.
0: And then, of course, Mystique tries to get her sex on with Wolverine by pretending to be Jean Grey. Well, that's a classic. Which, by the way, we conveniently are supposed to forget in this moment that he can tell that she's Mystique and not someone else that she's impersonating because he can smell her. Which was established in the first movie.
2: Willing ignorance, maybe, you yeah. know, like he wanted to believe type thing. I mean, it's definitely like a sexual assault scene in a way that we don't really address. But,
0: yeah, we just, we're, it's uh, fine. <laughs> it's fine.
1: It's fine. This is the kind of quality, nuanced take on these sorts of issues that you can expect from Brian Singer. I mean, you know,
2: never done anything wrong, Brian Singer.
1: <laughs> hey, it could be worse, it could be Brett Ratner. <sighs>
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's,
0: the, that's tomorrow's yeah,
2: like, yeah, problem. Yeah, that sounds like, sounds like a you issue, not a me issue. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Ratner is all of our problems. He is all of our problems, but I am not recording the podcast of this. <laughs> oh,
0: God. So we, we discover that Jean Grey is an Omega-level mutant in this movie. We also discover that Professor X is an Omega-level mutant in this movie, too. Because Stryker's whole plan revolves around his ability to use Cerebro to kill, like, I, the, the mutants, all the mutants. So, like, what? Half the population? More than half the population?
2: And then... That was never made clear. I was trying to figure that out during that. I was like, do we know mutant population? Like, when we're killing all these mutants, is there, like, like people whose powers haven't really activated yet? Like, what's, what's going on here? I mean, don't get me wrong. It's two and a half hour. It's a 2.15 movie. I don't know if I needed 10 more minutes of context on, you know, mutant population statistics. But, you know, it just would have been nice to know. That's actually
0: what would have put this movie over the top. (laughs) Like, 10 minutes of that, this would have been the perfect film. But yeah, but then Magneto flips it around and has him try to kill all the the regular humans. Either way, it's a genocide. Professor X can actually. Professor X can actually commit a genocide with his mind, is what we're being told in this movie.
2: He can commit a genocide in his mind, however, he's not powerful enough to stop the mind control. Convenient.
0: This is a wonderful (laughs) question.
2: No, I don't have an answer for that, just pointing it out.
0: Although I do love the scene where Magneto walks into the the evil Cerebro, I guess, and like rearranges it, like pulls everything around. That's just fun. It was a fun scene. Anytime Ian McKellen gets to do stuff, it's fun. And and, like,
2: it's a lot of like physical, like physical actions for him. You know, normally he kind of likes to stand and talk. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) He gets to just do things in this movie. All right, let's do a character rundown. So uh, we've already talked about a few of the characters. We've talked about Magneto, talked a little bit about Professor X. I don't really know if we get that much more about Professor X's story, like who he is as a person in this movie. It's just kind of like he's the mentor. He's Patrick Stewart being awesome. Yeah, I mean,
2: kind of, I feel like just like continues to build on the friendship between Professor X and Magneto and the complicated complications there. But yeah, no, it's definitely not his movie. (laughs)
0: Okay, let's talk about Storm. We haven't talked very much about her in this movie. She lost the Kenyan accent between the first movie and this movie.
2: Probably for the best.
1: (laughs) As Megan mentioned, it is Academy Award winner Halle Berry. This was the year of the Oscars that Halle Berry, Denzel Washington, and Sidney Poitier all won Oscars in a concerted attempt for Oscars not to be so white. And then. And then
2: they fixed it. And then they fixed it and everything was fine ever, ever yeah. since.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I will never believe that Denzel Washington deserved a lead actor Oscar for Training Day. People
2: love Training Day. I. No, it's not good. It's not good.
1: Well, he got one for Philadelphia. So, yeah.
2: No, he got one
1: for. Did he not get one for Glory and then got one for Philadelphia or do I have that backwards?
2: I'm thinking. I, I don't know. I guess I don't know.
1: Uh, you know, most of the movies that he did in, 90, in the 90s where he had a leading role were Oscar-worthy movies. This was a good makeup award. I have actually never seen Monsters Ball.
2: I, don't th- I haven't seen it either. I'm trying to think what my, what my peak Denzel is. Like Malcolm X. Can't go wrong with a Malcolm X. That's a good movie.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, so he won Supporting Actor for Glory, okay, not okay. for Philadelphia, my bad. He could have won another Oscar for that. Yeah, I would have been okay with that. Yeah, that was a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, okay, so that's really the mood in Hollywood, right? And so, Halle Berry now has this thing that we like to call clout. She unfortunately also has this thing we call an Oscar curse. But she uses the clout to try to avoid the curse by saying, y'all better rewrite this script and give me more flesh out this character, which really makes you stop and think, what did the first draft look like?
2: Because, I mean, this is, I mean, I don't know if it's just a symptom of too many characters all on their own journeys, but yeah, no, not a ton going on with Storm in this one.
1: <laughs> so, and, and we'll get to this later in the, the budget numbers, but because of this, we lost some other things that did exist or could have existed in the film. But, I mean, that's, I just think there's some good context for Storm here because she is very underwritten, I think.
0: In the comics, there is a storyline in which Storm and T'Challa, Black Panther, get together. And honestly, this movie just made me wish that instead of a Jean Grey, Wolverine, Cyclops love triangle, that we just had T'Challa in this movie and that they were in love.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I'd much rather watch that. (laughs) Oh, you mean to two actors and characters who can play chemistry versus friggin Scott. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Maybe T'Challa would have been played by Denzel Washington.
2: Well, I, I like, I like Storm in, I have a and d character that I made after Storm's powers. So I have a s- soft spot uh, for Storm just because I wanted to be able to you know, control the weather. That seems fun. But yeah, I mean, there's not a ton going on here.
0: We do get the really cool scene with the tornadoes where they're they're flying away from the jets and she calls down like all these tornadoes, which I did think during while watching it, I did have a moment where I'm like, I really hope that that airspace is like uninhabited below them, like cuz
2: Probably fine.
0: That's a lot of tornadoes. Uh,
1: okay. Okay, but but hold on. As somebody who Almost died because I couldn't get cats in a bathroom during an actual tornado. The thing that caused me to not die is tornadoes can have the rotation and never touch down. That is a real meteorological fact of why I'm not dead.
2: And I actually watched Twister over the weekend, so we're all experts. Uh- <laughs> yeah.
0: We're all we uh, all know right, what we're talking right. about here. Okay, so there are all these tornadoes, they didn't actually touch down. And she gets a lot of scenes with Nightcrawler, played by Alan Cumming. So that seems to be the extent.
2: Right. But it's really like he gets the he gets the emotional journey and she's there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she gets to react to it. She gets to say right. things like, I'm always angry, like which is a very like Hulk like thing to say.
2: Right. And to comment on his beauty or whatever it was. <laughs>
0: Let's talk a little bit about Mystique. We talked about her a little bit. She, once again, seems like she's kind of making a different movie from the rest of them. And part of that's because of the amount of time it takes Rebecca Romaine to get into all of that makeup and prosthetics that she is wearing. But she has a little bit more sneaking around to do in this movie. Like, she's the one who figures out the plan who sneaks into the the facility by infiltrating a janitor. I love the scene where she walks past the janitor that she's copying and the janitor just like looks at her like it's that's a fun scene.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, it's it's kind of I don't know if it's because of like this movie that this is what I think of as mystique, you know, where it's like, oh, okay, she's gonna go seduce a man in a bar. And you know, (laughs) put too much iron in his blood yada 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 whatever it is um uh, <laughs> too much iron to set up for you know i i talked a little bit at the beginning about my x-men journey i do i did like some of the like return like first class like when they rebooted and i felt like you know i liked some of what they gave jennifer lawrence there and was like a little bit more interesting than what's going on here but i mean in general I, you know i i think I mean, it's, it's it's a fun character in, in what you can do. But like Sam was complaining about earlier, it's also like hey, it makes any twist obvious, you know, because it's she can just be whoever.
0: <laughs> Although I do love the scene where they're like trying to figure out how to infiltrate the base and Wolverine's like, well, he won't shoot me. And they're like, well, you don't know how to operate the thing because Logan doesn't know how to operate anything. And so... They, they, like, look at Mystique and she just gives this, like, smirk. Like, she's... Re- Rebecca Romaine has a good smirk, which I don't think we talk about enough.
2: No, and she's, like, terrifying. She's, like, the kind of good-looking that scares you, you know, which is a, which is a power.
0: <laughs> so, the other thing, I, I just really quickly, I think she has one of the be- other best lines in this. If we're going to look at this film as mostly a metaphor for LGBTQ issues, she and Nightcrawler both actually pull this more into the realm of, like, disability. Studies when she, because both of them obviously look very different, especially her when she's in her, when she looks like herself, when she's not imitating someone else. And there's this moment where Nightcrawler comes up to her and says, you know, what, if you can transform into anybody, why would you, why would you choose to look like this? And she said, well, we shouldn't have to hide who we are. I think that that, to me, tells me a lot about who, how this character is being written. That, honestly, is also why I don't think she wears clothes. Because in the comics, she wears clothes. Obviously, they were written for children. But, like, if she can transform into anybody with clothes, which she does in the movies, there's no reason why she shouldn't have to wear clothes when she's in her usual form. But I actually think that it... It kind of makes sense, though, for this character with this attitude to be like, no, like, I'm proud of my body and I'm proud of what I look like, which I think is maybe not as exploitative.
2: I wrote down like six things while I was taking notes for this movie, not a ton of notes. But one of them was that line where she's like, I shouldn't have to, you know, like, he's like, you can hide, you can just be, you could appear as normal. And she's like, why would I? And I do think like, I know later, uh, Michael Fassbender and Jennifer Lawrence have a scene where He's like, I want to see you. And then she turns into Jennifer Lawrence and he's like, no, like the real you. And then they're like, oh, oh my gosh, he sees her. (laughs) Uh, They should kiss. (laughs) Anyway, no, but that's a future movie. And I'm not on that episode.
0: (laughs) We can talk about Nightcrawler played by Alan Cumming. Fun fact, in the comics, Nightcrawler is actually Mystique's kid. So it's really interesting that they had a scene together in this movie, especially because she is naked. That's just a fun mind picture to have. What do we think about Alan Cummings, Nightcrawler, who we see here and we never see Alan Cumming again in this series?
2: I just like I I don't even have that much of an attachment to Nightcrawler. I just I know that that he has the coolest powers and that's how I feel. I mean I some of the like religious stuff stresses me out a little bit. I don't know if that's a product of my childhood, but I'm like Ooh, this just <laughs> scares me. <laughs> but uh, I do, I, I think it's, it gives for good action. I mean, that first scene with him in the Oval Office, I guess, I mean, for 2003, like, that looked pretty good. I mean, it's hard to, like, put it up against, like, the Evan Peters Quicksilver scenes and some of the later ones, but, like, considering the time, it's very impressive.
1: <laughs> I don't think anything else that hasn't been said, but I'm just going to do the Alan Cumming headcanon for a minute. So, so this person, contrary to what we see at the end of GoldenEye, actually survives his run-in with the James Bond post-Cold War shenanigans. I, I mean, maybe that's what turns him into a mutant. I think maybe, yeah, that's it, right? So, okay, that's fine. And then, so we have this whole adventure, but then after that, he decides to like, just try to... It is very sad that he 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 passes for human, and that's how he gets to be like the the music industry person in in Josie and the Pussycats. But ultimately, but ultimately he realizes that that both sides of these personalities need to unite, and that is my friend how we get the political fixer who is Eli Gold and the Good Wife.
2: Oh, see, I think you, you, your timeline isn't isn't accounting for his role in Spy Kids, and it is important to me that that character Flute, obviously, we all remember. <laughs> I have not seen Spy Kids. Oh my God, you're gonna love it!
1: It's
0: a it's it's for sure a monkey that someone is going to watch <laughs> soon.
2: I I wonder if I would still I watched it like a few a few years ago and was like yeah holds up pretty cool if my your parents were spies. But uh, I don't know if if I didn't have the nostalgia, if it would still slap as hard.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, Alan Cumming is only in this film. I mean, he does a pretty good job. People universally like this performance by him. Nightcrawler in the comics, he looks like Nightcrawler in the comics. He has a German accent like Nightcrawler in the comics. He has that religious sort of flavor to him. However, it took over four hours in the makeup chair on shooting days to put this character together more when his shirt was off. And so Alan Cumming was like, no, I'm not doing that. Which, Rebecca Romaine stayed longer than Alan Cumming. She had three movies where she had to do that amount of work. So something to be said. All right. Other new characters. What did we think of Pyro, played by Aaron Stanford?
2: no opinion. Not a single one, honestly. Okay.
1: So the kids in the school, I mean, they are like late X elder millennial stereotypes, right? So, you know, Bobby is like the, the, the well adjusted youth, you know, Rogue is like the, the post grunge, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, that whole thing. And so Pyro is the, One who really just wants to get in a time machine and go back to the 90s where being disaffected was cool, right? He's just like a character out of time. He's just that annoying kid who's like, whatever, man. And as somebody who was in that generation, like, that was annoying. This guy's annoying. Of course he's a bad guy.
2: (laughs) Annoying then, annoying now.
0: (laughs) That scene on the porch of Bobby's house hits a little bit differently now, I think, than it did in 2003, because, one, we have a very different attitude towards cops than we did in 2003, who, by the way, who just, like, shoots somebody in the face, like, when, like, they just, like, so quick. Uh, A cop. Yeah, so quick. A cop. (laughs) So it's really hard for me to be like, yeah, Pyro's a bad guy for, like, defending himself with fire.
2: And, like, setting cop cars on fire, that's just what teens do now. Yeah,
0: like, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't Wait, know if that scene, no, I don't no. know if that scene really established him as, like, a villainous character for me. No, I was like, exactly.
2: They're like, oh, he went too far. And I'm like, I don't know, he murdered your friend.
0: Like, <laughs> 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 he, And I think that he does an okay job channeling, like, the anger, like, of, like, you know, nobody believes us, you know, kind of thing. He sort of adds a weird counterpoint. I do love that scene too, which kind of fits into the whole coming out thing where Magneto asks him, what's your name? And he says, John. And he says, no, what's your real name? Like there's a little bit of like trans kind right. of discourse there. Yeah,
1: he's an American gladiator named Pyro. Because <laughs> that was awesome.
0: Oh my God, just wait till the next movie. Okay. And then last, unfortunately for a lot of people, we have Lady Deathstrike, who is a very... She has a very small role in this. She's played by Kelly Hugh.
2: I mean, this This was embarrassing. This is the kind of thing you watch in 2021 and you're like, Jesus Christ. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, like, are we supposed to think anything? Like, we... I,
2: I, I was like... I mean, I was watching and I was paying attention and even as it was happening, I'm like, I don't think I've followed who this is, what I'm supposed to feel about her. <laughs>
0: She has one speaking line in this movie. The rest of it is literally her like cracking her knuckles and then the fight with Wolverine where he drowns her and injects her with a bunch of adamantium. There's anti-feminist stuff going on here. There's, there's racist stuff going on here because there's a lot about like Asian female characters. Yeah. Enough said. But I had to mention her because she's in the comics.
2: Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, we, we had to talk about it, but it's
0: we have gotten to the part of the episode where we talk about astonishing facts. So, astonishing fact number 1. Brian Singer actually initially cast Alan Cumming as Nightcrawler because he was fluent in German. Do you know that Alan Cumming was fluent in German, Sam?
1: Sure. Yes.
2: I I actually I actually did know because he often plays the MC in cabaret for that reason.
0: Oh, see? There you go. There you go. Astonishing fact number two, professional mimes were actually hired for the scenes in which Professor X freezes everyone in the room with his mind because it actually looked better than if they tried to, like, like, digitally do digitally it. Digitally
2: freeze it? It does, it does look good when, when that happens. That's inherently yeah, cool. Yeah, everybody in
0: that room is just <laughs> standing very, very still.
2: It, that's, I feel like that would be more ominous than just freeze frame because even, like, Professor X is freezing you But you as a human are still breathing.
0: Exactly. You're just kind of there. Astonishing fact number three. Of course, when we see Mystique in the bar seducing the guards so she can put the extra iron in him, that is, of course, Rebecca Romaine as herself in the bar without makeup. In fact, she is credited in the, the credits as Mystique slash Grace. Apparently, that's the name of the character in the bar. I like that she came up with her own name. All right, there are a lot of cameos in this movie from different characters from the X Men universe. We have Katie Stewart as Kitty Pride. We see Jubilee in the background when they're like raiding the school, and you see all these kids like scatter basically. So, Kitty Pride, Jubilee. We also see. Dr. Hank McCoy in, the, in an interview on a, t- a television screen in the background. I think it's at like a diner. Or no, it's at the bar. And he is not Frasier. He is not Frasier.
2: I know. I, I was about to say a toxic trait of mine is that I think, <laughs> I think Kelsey Grammer is really funny in these movies and I really like the show Frasier. And I was bummed when I watched this. I'm like, oh, this doesn't have Frasier in it. <laughs> I was kind of hoping it was the one with Frasier, but it's not. <laughs>
0: In the final scene with Xavier, a girl is seen dressed in a Native American style jacket, as well as a blonde haired boy dressed in blue. These were confirmed later to be Danielle Moonstar and Douglas Ramsey. So there's all those types of like shout outs to those characters. There's also Colossus. We do get to see him, although I don't think he's played by the same person as he is in the third one
2: is colossus the one where he tells wolverine like i can help you and he's like help them is that colossus
0: yeah so that's supposed to be like a nod to the fact that he's an x-men and of course in the third movie we're going to see them like actually fight together which is like part of it's, it's like a big deal in the comic books so right
2: i was watching and i'm like that's kind of a beefy boy but in the way that like the 2000s thinks that like a hunk would look not like an, like, not, not that now. movie was now colossus, not, would not be post Chris's. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. not, <laughs> not, not, not
0: so, uh, Michael Dougherty and Dan Harris, the film's writers, actually, well, two of their writers cameo in scenes of Wolverine's Weapon X flashbacks as surgeons. Astonishing fact number five. That's All right, this is, this is number six. So there were so, just like the first film, there were so many writers on this film, like just so many writers. And part of it was because Avi Arad, who, is the, who produced these films and also produced the X-Men animated series, which is like much more beloved, he announced that there was going to be a theatrical release, but different writers were hired to do separate scripts. So David Hayter and Zach Penn were hired to write two completely different scripts for the same movie at the same time. And then Hader and Penn combined what they felt were the best elements out of both strips into one screenplay, which is probably why it feels like a lot is going on in this.
2: Which has to be like a bad plan. It worked
1: for James Bond.
0: It worked for James Bond. So then Singer, of course, then became involved at some point and worked to finish another script, which they also combined. But Penn did not want them to adapt the Dark Fiend Saga storyline, but he exited after they already decided to do that. But he says that he feels like his major contribution to the project was convincing Singer to base the main villain plotline on God Loves, Man Kills before he left to work in another movie. And then, of course, Michael Dougherty and Dan Harris were hired to rewrite that script in 2002, and they are the ones who are credited on the film itself. So this is another example of way too many writers. I already said this, but the last astonishing fact, just because it bears repeating, is that Nightcrawler's prosthetics and makeups took four hours to apply each shooting day, nine hours for the scenes in which his shirt was off. So there you go.
1: To go with the astonishing facts, we have some uncanny stats. The budget for this movie was 110 million compared to the original 75 million opening week, 54.5 million domestic for the first one, 85.5 for this one. Total box office is 407 million, which is over a hundred million more than the first one, so we are moving up and up and up. But with all that budget money after Halle Berry did her thing, there were scenes that had to be cut that would have developed poor James Marsden. His scenes got cut. Those were actually shot. But what wasn't shot because they didn't have the money were Sentinels and The Danger Room. So we missed out on that. Speaking of missing out, opening weekend, if you went to go see X2, you probably weren't seeing that weekend's number two movie, The Lizzie McGuire Movie.
2: Ah, see, that's where I was. Rounding out the top five, we
1: have the John Cusack movie that you probably forgot existed, Identity.
2: I don't even think I ever knew it existed.
1: Anger Management, which was a bad movie that turned into a war crime of a TV series. And the film adaptation of a monkey from a few months ago, Holes.
2: Now that's a good movie. Holes and and Lizzie McGuire movie theaters at the same time. I I was a happy camper.
1: (laughs) I mean, hey, two weeks later, a Matrix movie comes out.
2: Hmm. See, 10-year-old me was not as interested in that. Well, it wasn't one of the good
1: ones. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, it wasn't the good one. Anyway, finally, for our all-new, all-different segment, Tessa would like to recommend the following today.
0: So, I'm going to recommend that if you're at all interested in this movie or exploring X-Men, that you read the classic, classic graphic novel God Loves, Man Kills, which is what this film is based on. I do have to warn you: the graphic novel is much, much darker than the film is. William Stryker, for an example, is a right-wing preacher who is like anti-homosex, or sorry, he is anti-homosexuality, but he's also anti-mutant, and he is encouraging his followers to harass and kill mutants. There's a lot of really dark imagery and really violent things that happen in this particular graphic novel, but it is a classic. It is very good. Would recommend highly all right it is time to disappear like Jean gray but don't worry the phoenix will rise again i know i had i couldn't yes. resist uh so join us tomorrow for the next installment of the 13 days of x-men when we'll be talking about x-men the last stand with new guest lozzy watch along with us Tweet at us, email us, let us know all your miraculous mutant thoughts. That
1: is such a dig. Holy alliteration, Batman. Let
0: us know <laughs> all your miraculous mutant thoughts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com and visit our website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Megan, where can people find you?
2: Yes, they can find me on Twitter and letterbox at megan That's Megan with no h and no extra A's or anything complicated. Y- yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be I'm really active on Letterboxd and Twitter because I'm going to be at that film festival next week. So, oh, right, this is coming out in two months. Never mind. Go, go back and look at my Letterboxd. I had a really good time in late August.
0: <laughs> Sam, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9.
0: You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, a Discworld podcast where me and a friend read through all 41 of Terry Pratchett's novels. You can find that at Nanny's Book Club on Twitter and at Nanny Ogg's Book Club on Instagram. Our theme song is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy holidays and get that monkey off your back, bub.